Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Harry Wilson with a six-yard header to my Harry Wilson from 20 yards out with his left foot. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? You got punched yeah. in the head today at football, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It's just one of them things. Got, got punched twice. We won 6-2. It was a semi-final, but game descended into chaos. Pretty much an EFL ref. Um was was roughing what she won though didn't you so it's not all bad <laughs> on the show this week we've got Stephen Topless from 1865 the Nottingham Forest podcast Stephen how are you I'm very good thank you thanks for having me good on stuff. absolute pleasure uh, also here is Louis Bent from the Baggies podcast Louis are you all right yeah um in in myself I'm fine in West Brom context maybe not so much but yeah great to be back on the show thank you for having me <laughs> No worries, mate. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, East Second Tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. What a weekend of championship football. First of all, there must have been a record amount of controversial refereeing decisions. That's going to be a common theme on the show this week. Otherwise, we only had three winners from the teams who are in the top 10 at the start of the weekend. The championship is unpredictable as ever. So we'll go through all the games this weekend, talk about some of the news from the past few days, and then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Somewhere in Nottingham, there's a man with a genie lamp, and he was given three wishes this weekend. One of them was that Forest would win, and the second was that all the teams around them would not win. God knows what he did with the third wish, but we only care about the first two. Forest four, Reading nil. Stephen, a great win. Tell us about the game. Yeah, a, a a big win for Forest, considering the the results around us did go pretty much according to plan. the The first half, well, it was blistering start. Forest ahead after seventeen seconds. People hadn't even got into their seats before this one went in, and it was Keenan Davis with a nice swivel in the box after a, the ball in from Jed Spence, and he fired it in, and that was the dream start. But after that, the game from Forest's point of view, petered out in the first half. It, it wasn't that they struggled to build on that performance. And I think sometimes when teams score that early in a game, they almost don't know what to do. And Forrest went into halftime a goal up and it was whatever Steve Cooper said in the second half did the trick because three goals without replying that second half, some really good goals in there as well. Keenan Davis again with that brilliant solo run where he span away from two defenders and, and fired it into the far corner. Brilliant goal. And then Ryan Yates, the main man at the moment, with another one, this time from outside the box, a lovely strike. And he is just on fire at the moment. And he's becoming a really important part of the team. And then at the end, it was nice to see Sam Surridge get his first league goal for Forrest, having scored against Huddersfield in the Cup. And it rounded off, in the end, what was quite a comfortable victory. And certainly in that second half, we stepped it up against a Reading team who just didn't really offer a great deal. They, they looked, they just looked like a team, a bunch of individuals. But credit to Forrest, where they, they, they scored the goals that they needed to and, and put the game to bed. And given how tight it is in the championship, those those goals could be crucial when it comes to, to getting into the playoffs come the end of it. Yeah, spot on. Uh, you mentioned Keenan Davis there. He has been linked with a permanent move to the city grounds, obviously on loan from Villa at the moment. Would you like to see him in a Forest shirt next season, no matter what division you're in? Yeah, I'd love to. I think the way that he's come in and taken on the responsibility of that that lone striking role with Lewis Graben injured, he's he's really grown into the role. And he's also developed so much from having this regular first-team football that he, he wasn't getting at Villa. And yesterday, I think he showed a different side to his game with that individual goal, the way that he turned and drove forward and then had a finish to... To, to cap it all off was brilliant and his his athleticism and his power was always evident in these games where since he's joined Forest but now he looks like he's adding goals to his game as well which could take him to another level so yeah if if it's Premier League or Championship next season I'd, I'd be so happy to see him back at Forest. Hmm. After the game, Justin, Paul Ince said this team has got a soft underbelly and they collapsed after the second goal. I've told them they need to forget that ticky-tacker crap they've had for the last six months and they need to fight. Thoughts on that one? Uh, firstly, it's taken you this long to identify that Reading have a soft underbelly. They had a second worst defensive record when you came in, Paul Ince. Um, and secondly, 
you're in a position where you've got one of the most potent attacks in the league potentially if you get if you get them clicking <clears throat> and they fail to do that um Paul Ince is not a good manager unfortunately if if Reading are to go down it's going to be because of this appointment and as I say if, if it's taking you this long to identify the fact that Reading have a, a soft underbelly and you're not correcting it that's an issue they just they they would you can guarantee safety if they appoint anybody else other than Paul Ince at this point fair enough Forest, two points outside the playoffs, Stephen. A game in hand on all the teams around you. How do you rate your chances right now of getting in the top six? I'm I'm quietly confident that we can do it. The way that we're playing, the goals that we're scoring and the the confidence that's running through the team, I, I think anything's possible for us now to, to the end of the season. And we're with teams pl- around the playoffs playing one another and taking points off one another, there's a real opportunity now if we can keep this run going and keep picking up points the way we are that that we can get in that top six for sure. Brilliant stuff. A late double on Friday night saw West Brom draw two all with Huddersfield. Louis, what did you make of the game? West Brom were fairly poor, weren't they, for eight nights of it? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was such a weird game of football. That's probably the best way to sum it up. Uh, we started the game really brightly. I think the first... Well, probably up until uh, Sam Johnston's howler, I think we were we were okay. I think we we played quite well. I thought we started to to move with a bit of positivity and a bit of confidence, which is something that we've seen really lacking from this Albion side for probably a good fifteen games now. And yeah, I thought we we started the game brightly, but we seem to do this in in quite a few of the games recently. We seem to have this just sixty minute lull uh, in the games where we just tend to take our foot off the gas. We don't maintain any form of intensity. We almost sit back and allow the opposition to have a little bit of the ball and start to get confident and get their way into the game. And I think that happened. That was a prime example of that on Friday night. Of course, they scored the first goal, which I, th- I don't think you know we could say was, was coming at all. And unfortunately, Sam Johnston, you know, gives away a real howler and he should be, he should, I uh, hope hopefully he's taken a lot of responsibility for that. And you know, after that, you thought maybe there's a chance of us going into and getting a getting an equaliser, but our confidence just dropped from that point onwards. And then, you know, it was just a matter of time as to when Huddersfield would would put a second past us. As for the comeback, uh, I think those who are still left in the Hawthorns, you know, I think many thought that we were falling to another inevitable two nil defeat that we we seem to like under Steve Bruce. But yeah, the comeback was amazing. I I genuinely had no idea that was happening. I'm glad I stuck around for it because I was I was about this close to being to being off on my bike and, and going home. But no, yeah, the, the comeback was fantastic and, and that does show a bit of spirit and a bit of desire that I don't think we've seen for 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 a few games really for Albion. Yeah, the comeback started after West Brom were given a penalty for a high boot, which Justin was a bit questionable. Yeah, on, on replay, it, it's not a penalty, but as soon as it happened live, I did the Gary Neville ooh because he's put himself in a bit of in a bit of trouble there, Sorba Thomas. So I can see why the referee's giving it. I don't think it is a penalty on uh, um, given the replays, but the referee doesn't have the advantage of having those replays, so we'll give the referee the benefit of the doubt on this one. But as I say, Silver Thomas, his foot goes up, Mal's head goes down. You're asking questions then, aren't you? You might give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm not sure Huddersfield <laughs> fans will. No, definitely um, not. You, meant, um, you mentioned Sam Johnston there. That that first goal was a real howler, wasn't it? But the second goal wasn't much better where he's parried it straight to mm. Danny Ward. I have seen quite a few calls for David Button to replace him. What do you think? Oh, uh, yeah, I think Sam Johnston, he just doesn't quite look, I don't know, maybe in the right frame of mind, I think is probably the, the, the phrase for it. I think he just looks a little bit little bit off concentration at times and I think we saw that for the for the first error I think the second error obviously was wasn't as big of a howler but it's still questionable goalkeeping from in my opinion one of the best one of the best goalkeepers certainly from you know last last season in the Premier League coming down to the championship you'd think he'd be one of the best goalkeepers in the in the division this season but he hasn't proved really to be that and I think his 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 mind seems a little bit you know off concentration off focus and and he seems to be giving away some of these little errors I think against Swansea uh, the 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 shot that Joel Perez had uh, went straight through his legs from from about 
12 yards out, which was quite worrying. And then Ryan Christie's effort later in the game was, was parried into the back of the net by himself. Yeah, I, th I think Button, uh, I I'd love to see somebody like Alex Palmer being, give being given a go. Of course, he's on an emergency loan at Luton at the moment. And I'd love to see him given a go. And then possibly next season, it's uh, Josh Griffiths will obviously come back from his loan at Lincoln. He's just had a, a pretty bad injury, but I'm hoping that he could potentially step into that number one spot, assuming that Sam Johnston leaves. I think Button's done a decent job when he stepped in, but yeah, I, I, I can't see Sam Johnston maybe remaining in the team if he continues to, to to give away these goals because, you know, that goal really took the, not the stuffing out of us at the start of that game after what had been quite a good spell up until that point. I recall there being calls for Johnston to be dropped last time West Brom were in the Championship. He seems to play a lot better in the Premier League than he does in the Championship for whatever reason. But Louis is one win in seven now for West Brom since Steve Bruce took over. Fans clearly aren't too pleased with him so far. Do you think he's the man to lead the baggies into next season? I'd probably say no. I think I, I I don't think it's anywhere near his fault that we're in the the situation that we're in. But I I'm not convinced that he's the man to try and fix it. Uh, of course, I like that he's a, a supposedly you know more experienced manager. But then again, he he's been found out. I think quite a few times in his previous roles, whatever division it's been in, whether that be the Premier League, the Championship, and I'm not convinced that he's tactically got it spot on. I think there's been several times so far under his reign where we could have gone down, you know, a few more goals than we have done because there are so many gaps, but specifically at the back post, there seems to be this gaping hole where our defenders seem not to occupy, but every attacker seems to find. Yeah, it's a little bit concerning what what's been happening a bit uh, defensively, but the attacking stuff, I don't, I think that was there long before Bruce but yeah as I said it's not his fault that we're in the situation but I, I I don't I'm not convinced that he's the man to drag us out of it I think you know this summer is massive for us in terms of recruitment in terms of shipping out some of the deadwood in the squad and and bringing in some some newer and fresher faces because some of these players that as I said last time I was on here have been here for for so long uh and you know they've been here for four or five years and that's the the main body of your squad and uh, have they really produced, you know, the performances that have, have really made you think, yeah, let's sign them up for another few years? I, I don't think they have. I, as a, Yeah, I don't think Bruce is the, the main cause of the problems, but I, I'm not convinced that he's he's the guy to, to, to drag us out of them at the moment. Louis and Stephen, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both later to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Right now, it's time for me and Justin to venture around the grounds and we'll begin at the Coventry Building Society Arena where Coventry smashed Sheffield United 4-1. Jerry Crone is from the Knee Lampsy podcast. Jerry, did you see this result coming? Because I sure as hell didn't. No, definitely not. Um, Sheffield United smashed up Middlesbrough, hadn't they, in midweek and we had played... Midweek, as we have been recently, not horrendously badly, but missing far too many good chances and then sort of gifting the opposition a goal. And so, no, absolutely no idea. Yeah, tell us a bit more about the game, Jerry, because it seemed incredibly one-sided, which is, as we say, strange, considering we all know how good Sheffield United are. I didn't think Sheffield United, um, beyond their defence, looked terrible. It just looked like the first time that the defence had ever played football, ever. They just seemed really comfortable with leaving us three on three the entire game. And I think they'd got a slightly depleted or not first choice back three. And just, they give us so much time and space. And more than anything, they gave us a huge amount of time and space to counter-attack into. And... They didn't do what a lot of clubs do successfully against us, which is just close the door and be compact. Mm -hmm. They just they really tried to play the game and, and that favours what we try and do. But yeah, there was more. We I think our XG was actually 4.2. So we scored four and underperformed our XG, which tells you an awful lot about um, how sort of open Sheffield United were. Yeah, Callum O'Hare got on a goal and an assist. And that's... Good because his uh, end product has been questioned quite a lot by Coventry fans this season, hasn't it? Tell us a bit more about that. Well, I would, <laughs> I would dispute that he scored two goals. I think he scored one goal and they conceded an own goal that he has claimed. But I guess that's by the by. Yeah, yeah, he. I would say first half of the season, 
he was making up for his lack of end product because of what he gave to the team overall. In recent weeks, I would say that that has also dropped off considerably. And so it's really fantastic to see him score and create one. You would hope in old football cliche parlance that that gives him the confidence to kick on and now start scoring and assisting a few more. But if you watch the full game, you'd have seen that actually the quality of his output overall was still very poor. It's just that he had so many chances because Sheffield United was so open that you know, kind of law of averages meant that he had to score at least one. So, yeah, really hope he kicks on. A player that we all like as Cov fans, um, but that we, we need to see more output from. Yeah, and Jerry, we were saying in the pod in midweek that Coventry's playoff push is over, but considering this result and results elsewhere went your way, do you still think there's a chance or do you think it's a bit of a long shot? I think it's still a long shot, but it's still a long shot that, you know, staff really, it's only three points, isn't it? But there's a number of teams above us and teams in better form. And um, so it's just, I, I know this isn't great punditry, but we physically can get in the playoffs. And so that's got to be our aim. But I think if we finished 10th this season, it would represent an absolutely outstanding season and huge, huge progress. The only thing that tempers it is that in midweek we were reminded again that if we were hoping to sign anybody to sort of push us up further than where we are, it would mean a significant outgoing. You'd look at either a Harmer or an O'Hare. Um, and so you'd hope that we would kick on next season because we're not a million miles away from being a legit playoff team. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But either way, we can do it. I don't think we will, but even if we don't, what a season it's been. Thanks, Jerry, and thank you to his son for his input in the background <laughs> there. Uh, Sander Berger put Sheffield United ahead before it all well and truly went to shit. This game was strange, really, wasn't it? I, I'm not sure how much analysis I can actually provide here, Justin, because Sheffield United were shocking at the back. Mm-hmm. Prior to this, they conceded three goals in eight games. I'm, I'm just sat here bemused at what I was seeing. It was the definition of collapse, wasn't it? Um, I think you've got to you've got to give all the credit to, to Coventry for putting the blade under so much pressure and making them um, making them look very average. Um, the amount of balls in behind uh, that, that led to goals were, were, was quite astonishing, really. And at no point did, did Sheffield United look like they were getting to grips with that. Which for a team looking to get into the playoffs, looking for maybe pushing to the top two, isn't good enough. And yeah, it leaves a lot of a lot of work to do for Hacking Bottom, especially after that Borough result in midweek. You think they could have maybe kicked on, but this is it was one step forward, two steps back with this result. Yeah, definitely. Wes Vodringham didn't cover himself in glory mm. for the first two goals either, and he's been very solid since getting a getting chosen between the sticks yeah. for the Blades. Paul Hacking Bottom blamed the club's training pitch after the game, saying it's like a bog at the moment. Not sure if that's completely to blame for defending like you've never met each other before, but I'm happy to just put this down as a bit of a freak result, Justin, if you are. Yeah, I think definitely I would. It was a freak result, but at the same time, they were they were well beaten, weren't they? Coventry really played some brilliant stuff in that second half. And as I say, they were they were undone by the same move. And you look at those, there was a mistake from Jack Robertson. I can't remember which Coventry goal it was for, but he missed the header and John Egan wasn't there to, to sweep it up. Um, so perhaps you can put it down to um, to yeah just a freak result and a freak bad performance, but Sheffield United cannot afford any more of those um, if they're to get into the top six, let alone push for the top two. Well, it puts a dampener on our slim hopes of Sheffield United being an automatic <laughs> promotion challenger, doesn't it? But I've got no worries about them being a top six side come May, I've got to say, um, unless this happens again, but I'll be surprised if it does. The star of the show was Callum O'Hare. He got a dubious double, whether his first was actually his or not is up for debate, but he scored only one goal all season prior to this. If he did have more goals and assists to his name, then he wouldn't be far off the Premier League, would he? Oh, definitely not. I think I've compared him to the likes of Chris Willick and Elias Chair because they're a similar player, similar style of player, similar age. But the likes of Willick and, and Chair, as I say, have got that ability to to notch up a lot of assists and goals themselves and score from uh, score ridiculous ridiculous goals. Whereas Callum O'Hare's never never really threatened to do that this season. Um, but his his first goal sniffed it out, 
bit of a poacher's effort, I think, to to put it put it lightly. Um, but you've got to be in that position. You've got to have the desire to get into that position to put it in. And then the second goal was was very well taken. So you, you've got to credit him. And as I say, it's a chance for him to kick on because he's such an important player for Coventry. And if he if he's if he's on it, Coventry are on it. If he's not, Coventry are going to struggle. Yeah, definitely. He's even though he hasn't had many goals and assists to his name, he's still been a vital player for them. And he's not had a great 2022 so far. Maybe his form has coincided with a drop in Coventry's general form. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is worth saying he, I think he's, before this game anyway, he was in the worst players for shot conversion in the championship. Yeah. And because he had only got the one goal and he does have a fair few efforts as well but he is a vital player so hopefully this can get him back in top gear and he'll be a better player for it next season because they definitely need him if um, they are going to have another crack at the playoffs next season just a quick word Justin on Coventry's playoff chances we said they were all but over in the week a big win here and most of the teams above them not winning does it open it back up at all? I think he does open it back up, but again, we're in that sort of territory in the season where you're looking at teams and thinking, can you be consistent enough to finish in that top six? And with Coventry, probably not. Their away form does let them down. The home form is is, is very good, um, but it's their away form that lets them down. So you, you probably lean away from them a little bit and, and look at the likes of Forest, Sheffield United, even Luton, who are a little bit more consistent than, than Coventry, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, they're, they're definitely building, but it's probably a season too soon for them. Yeah, of course. They're only three points off the playoffs at the time of recording. And it's obviously not mathematically possible, but uh, mathematically impossible. But when you consider you've got those teams ahead of you and if you drop points one week, then you've got other teams who are winning points. But it, And then say Coventry win and Luton don't mm-hmm. win. You've got a team like Middlesbrough, for example, or Sheffield United who probably will win. So it's difficult to gain back those points when you're at this stage of the season. You've got so many other teams going for the top six. They'd have to win something ridiculous like at least seven of their last 10 games, mm-hmm. I think, to get into the playoffs at this point. It's not something they've done or come close to doing since the first 10 games of the season. So still very, very unlikely in my book. But let's move on. Let's talk about one of the coupon busters of the weekend. Fulham drawing one all away at Barnsley. The big talking point here is the Barnsley penalty, which unfortunately will go down as another poor example of the standard of officiating in the Championship. It's a, it's an understatement, isn't it? And it's a referee that I pulled up not too long ago as well. Um, it, it really was, there was nothing in it. There was absolutely nothing in it. I have no idea what the referee's seen for this. Um, Morrison either slips or or dives because Tosino Adarabayo in that situation actually defended really well, did really well not to make any contact with Colton Morris. Um, and as well as that, he's missed the foul on, on Tosin Adarabayo earlier on in the move where Cotton Morris very obviously pulled, pulls his shirt um, to, to, to get himself back in front of the ball. So that's that's a foul in itself. And as I say, I have no idea what the referee's seen, but it, it's a sort of decision where you think if they're, they're literally, I wouldn't say they're making things up as they go along, but what are they seeing? I've, you've got to you've got to ask a question. Marco Silva came out and said he tried to ask the referee a question as to what he saw, and the referee just ignored it. That's not accountability. That's not responsibility, and that is that is justifying poor decisions, which at this level in the English game isn't good enough. It just isn't good enough. The thing I can't get my head around is there's not even a hint of contact. It's not <laughs> like Tosin has stuck his foot in. He's not even gone for it, has he? And Morris no. has just slipped over seemingly it's a woeful decision and you're quite right Tosin was having his shirt pulled as well when he lost the ball in the first place so it was just a real mess of a decision and the referee clearly wasn't sure but he took ages to make the decision as well didn't he so he clearly wasn't sure about it himself so yeah a complete and utter mess that decision was but Fulham got their equaliser in the final five minutes through Harry Wilson what a finish that was just in it was. It was. It was a, a player, a, a finish befitting the player. He's such a, he's such an elegant player at, at times. Harry Wilson. He's when he was at Derby uh, and even a little bit at Cardiff. You know, it was more. He used to put his foot through the ball quite a lot, and there was a lot of movement on the ball. And he'd score a lot of goals doing that way, uh, doing it that way. But this, the technique for this goal was, was so cushioned, so directed, and purpose, so much purpose on the ball. It was. It was a brilliant finish and. It's worth the fee they paid for him if he if he keeps doing that. He's for my money the best playmaker in the division. 
he's got without a doubt the best left foot in the division, hasn't he? The, yeah. the problem is when Fulham go back to the Premier League and he's playing for them, how much of an impact he'll have, I'm not too sure because he's when you're at this level and you've got a left foot like his, he stands out amongst the rest, doesn't he? But when you're in yeah. the Premier League and there are, you know, twenty or so other players who are probably even better technically than him and he doesn't have, you know, the physicality to back it up, then how effective will be in the Premier League mm-hmm. with Fulham next season, I'm not too sure. But phenomenal player at this level. The irony is, after this wonderful goal, he missed an absolute sitter yeah. straight afterwards. <laughs> I, I know he's not known for his heading, but blimey me. It, it was so low that I don't know why he hasn't just volleyed it. Because he's, he's, his he's on his it. knees. Yeah. yeah, just do anything, but don't head it when you're clearly not known for your heading ability. But uh, uh, yeah, that made me laugh. Fulham are still 12 points clear despite this result. I thought Barnsley were excellent here, Justin. Yeah. They gave away a decent number of chances, but I feel like that's a bit of a given when you're coming up against this Fulham side. Apart from that, not much else you can fault with them except for giving away another late equaliser. That's two in the space of a few days. Yeah, they they were really good. And as I say, it's probably come a little bit too late for them to make an assault to get out of the bottom three. But at the same time, <clears throat> with Derby dropping points, running dropping points, it, it keeps them in it and, and, and they'll they'll lap that up. But as I say, more performances like this, then they, they, will, they could possibly stay up because they're not conceding as many chances, not conceding as many goals. Scoring goals and creating chances themselves is a bit of an issue, but... As I say, if you, at least you're, you're giving yourself a chance if you're not leaking the, like the likes of, of Reading and Peterborough, for example. So probably a little bit too late for them, but performances like this give you a lot of hope. If they hadn't conceded those two late goals, then they'd be level on points with Reading now. Yeah. That's That shows how fine margins this relegation <laughs> battle is, but it could end up being huge come the end of the season. If they manage to erase them from the game, then Barnsley will be fine as far as I'm concerned because they have looked a completely different side haven't they in the last few weeks to the ones Mm -hmm. that we saw earlier in the season it's just about eliminating the last minute goals and uh, staying as solid defensively as they have done recently which has been marvellous speaking of the relegation battle Bournemouth got back to winning ways by beating Derby 2-0 Another game, another bit of refereeing controversy. This time, Derby had a penalty claim and the score was still nil-nil. Quickly, your thoughts on that, Justin? Because I don't want to keep talking about it in this podcast. It's another stonewaller, isn't it? I mean, these decisions come up uh, at least twice, two or three times a week. Every episode, we will talk about a decision. It would be nice to not have to be able to do that. But at the same time, um, the, the standard of refereeing in this, in this country is, is, is frankly uh, a bit of a joke and that's on Mike Riley and the, the PG MOL. Not the EFL, the EFL don't train and supply referees, it is the PG MOL. So if you've got any issues, direct it at them and not the EFL because there's no agenda against any club. Referees are just very poor in this country and that's because of the standard that's been set by the PG MOL. Kind of reiterate that enough. Pugmol. Pugmol, yeah. Yeah. This was quite comfortable for Bournemouth, really, wasn't it? I, I thought Derby would give them more of a game, considering Scott Parker's boys haven't been great recently. But aside from the penalty, it was rather straightforward, really, wasn't it? Yeah, Derby, Derby threatened, but they seemed to fizzle out in the second half. It was a much better performance um, for Bournemouth. I think if Derby had been a little bit more probably defensive, a bit more of a lower block, they probably could have got a result um, against Bournemouth. But they like to play their own game and that's that's fair enough but at the same time that will probably garner them more results on the road but for Bournemouth it's it's um, it's a huge step forward I think because as I say coming away with a clean sheet and looking comfortable is what they need at the moment because as I say the last few games they've been really poor Well it just goes back to what we've been saying about Derby's away form and how that's really hindering them isn't it they tried to keep it resolute at the back which they did for the most part but they didn't offer a great deal going forwards mm-hmm. So for Bournemouth, it gives them a two-point gap between them and Huddersfield. It allays fears for now of their automatic promotion challenge collapsing. Remember, there is still that final nine games, which is really going to decide the season. That's coming up very, very soon. And uh, yeah, as I say, we'll probably end up deciding their season. For Derby, they're still finding themselves five points from safety. Nine games remaining for them. It's time for that weekly question, Justin. Who's staying up? Uh, I still think Reading will. Um, 
saying that, Paul Ince does not convince me at all. Four 0 away defeat to to Forest just isn't isn't good enough for for Reading. So it does give the likes of Barnsley, Derby, and Pete, and even Peterborough a sense of hope. Um, but for Derby, unless they start picking up points away from home, their home form's good. The home po- their home form has eradicated the points reduction itself. It's just their away form that's let them down. If they had, if they were just picking up results away from home, not not wins, just results, just picking up draws, they'd be in a much better position. But unfortunately, margins have been too too tight, too fine for Derby away uh, away from Pride Park, and unfortunately, it's, it's not it's not landed with them, um, and that's why they're not above Reading essentially. It's strange that a side is four points clear of the bottom three, but I still fancy them to go down so strongly because these last three games, Reading have been woeful. Yeah. And I personally struggle to see any signs that they'll get many points on the board between now and the final 10 games of the season. I think it's between Barnsley and Derby right now, slightly edging towards Bar- uh, Derby personally. That That's only going to happen, though, if they start getting more points away from home. It doesn't have to be wins either. I'm literally just talking about getting a point every so often because mm-hmm. they can't afford to keep losing away. They've lost something ridiculous now, like six away games on the trot. It's, yeah. it's really hindering them. Fortunately, they have got more home games than they have away games. Um, so, But even then, the home games have got to be at least nine points, pressure. I yeah. think. Yeah, a lot of pressure on those home games reaping the rewards and they're not the easiest home games either so yeah it's still so much up in the air between those bottom three teams at the moment it is a match between two sides challenging for the playoffs Luton won QPR two Luton were one they up before QPR had a late fight back if heading into this game you told me only three of the top ten would win this weekend Justin and I, and I had to name that three I think QPR would have probably been the last side I would have chosen 100% I was Leaning so far on Luton, I was almost in Luton for this for this result. So it is a massive surprise, one of the surprises of the weekend, actually. I think, based on form alone, you, you fancied Luton, but fair enough to to QPR for fighting back. They've done something they're not done for for a long time, and that's and that's clawed the way back into a game. And yeah, it was a much much better performance than the one we've seen recently. Jeff Hendrick and Samfield did. A, a lot better in midfield in, in this game than, than they have been. I know Jeff Hendricks has been under a little bit of criticism from, from QPR fans, but hopefully a performance like this does ease the pressure a little bit. But it was mainly the back three that actually impressed me because, as I say, they're a team that have been conceding chances and goals, and they did concede a fair few chances in this game. Might have been a little bit lucky to come away with the result, but at the same time, the back, the back three did reassure me that they could possibly get back into that playoff mix. Well, they're definitely still in it, aren't they? Both these sides are still well in it, despite the results. David Marshall, I think a bit of a question marks have been asked about him once again. It was amazing in the first few games for them, Monty, but his form has dropped like a lead balloon in the last three or four games. Made a clanger here, and it's not the first time he's done that in a, those four games that he's played mm. recently. Um, Chris Willock was benched. To this, for this game, which I found a bit strange. He did come on eventually, but um, I, I'm not too sure what's warranted Warp, him being out. put on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what's led to that, whether he's picked up a knock or whatever. But uh, yeah, apart from that, um, a strange old game to analyse, really, isn't it, Justin? Because, was, as I say, we just didn't really see it coming. Both sides still very much in the mix for the playoffs. QPR sitting um, fourth, with this mm. win still looking very good. It's strange that they've gone, what is it, one win in seven prior to this game and still sat so high in the table. Um, I suppose that talks about the consistency that's been lacking from some of the teams fighting for the top six. Luton find themselves on the edge of the playoffs. Uh, 57 points, they're tied with Sheffield United, who are sixth. Um, so still very much to play for. Right, Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Bristol City and a win um, actually, there weren't any other wins, I don't think. Oh, no, Blackpool won. Uh, the rest of all draws. Hello there, guys. It's Ryan. I'm just checking in to tell you about the Second Tier Betting Show, which is where myself and tipster Jimmy the Punt pick out our best bets in the Championship each weekend. We've been doing it since the start of the season and have made a tasty little profit in that time with winners at prices as big as 25 to 1. We have a new episode out every Thursday and Monday if there's a full round of midweek games. So if you enjoy having a flutter on the championship, why not give it a listen? Search Second Tier Betting on your favourite podcast platform. 
Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Now, Justin, don't you hate it when it's a Saturday afternoon and you can't go to a game, but you want to watch it? It's a real nightmare. But, my friend, there is a solution. What's the solution, Ryan? Well, have you heard of NordVPN? I don't think we've mentioned it before. Please tell me more. No, I don't think we have either. NordVPN is the gift that keeps on giving. With NordVPN, you can change your virtual location on your laptop or whichever device you want to use. Change your virtual location and then watch your side wherever you are in the world. It's not just football. You can watch Netflix or Amazon Prime or other streaming platforms content from different countries, meaning you don't have to wait for it to be released in the UK. Also, when you're out and about, NordVPN protects you from disgusting hackers when you're using unsecure public Wi-Fi. So grab your ex. Exclusive NordVPN deal by heading to nordvpn.com and use the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. You can find a link in the description of this podcast. It costs less than a pint, so you may as well give it a try, might you? Blackburn's woes in front of goal continue. They were beaten 1-0 at home by Bristol City. This is a really poor result for Blackburn, isn't it? Bristol City had only picked up two points from their last 11 away games heading into this, Justin. Yes. Even I'm starting to doubt whether they can finish in the top six now because uh, a result like this, um, performance and things just go against you the way they do. You're sort of thinking maybe they're destined for outside uh, outside the top six. As I say, they win a penalty, they miss it. Dan Bent is an inspired form for Bristol City. And yeah, it just... Everything seems to seem to go against them. They create plenty of chances. Um, they are missing that killer touch. Again, hindsight is is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Maybe should have added a striker in in January just to help get them over the line. A lot of teams do do that. You look at Forest; they've they flourished with Keenan Davis and now Sam Surridge. Um, so yeah, with, with Blackburn, where do they go from here? Can they tighten up? They're not conceding too many goals. What can they do? They're still creating good chances, just to put them away. Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about their playoff push in a sec, but you're absolutely right. Their finishing has continues to be a massive issue, and that was really compounded by Bradley Dack missing that penalty. I think many Blackburn fans were hoping that him being back in the team would bring an end to their goal-scoring difficulties. But the sick irony is, is that he missed both of <laughs> Blackburn's best chances, the penalty, and then a really good chance straight afterwards. Um I just want to say as well that, of of course, poor refereeing is a running theme in this episode. The penalty that Bradley Dak missed, how on earth was that a penalty? I can't see what Masengo's done wrong at all. And then following on from that, Tim Closer is so far in the box when the penalty is taken. He's almost side by side with Bradley Dak. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what was going on there. And then also later on, there was another penalty call. I think it was Vyman going in on a Blackburn player. Kadra. I can't remember which it one Kadra. it was. Kadra. Yeah, and that, that seems more of a penalty than that the penalty that penalty. was given. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pulling my hair out at the refereeing in this episode. Um, and then Blackburn's misery summed up by that Bristol City goal. Joe Williams with either the best or worst assist ever, slicing a shot to Andy Vyman, who scores in the 91st minute, which really sums up where Blackburn are at the moment. For Bristol City, ends a run of three straight losses. For Blackburn, it's one win in nine. And Justin, as you were just talking about earlier, you've stuck to your guns about Rovers finishing in the playoffs. And it sounds like that's really being put to the test now. It is, because as I say, when when you look against you, it's against you because that Joe Williams assist, for example, does that does that fall the way it does if if your looks not with you? It was just right in Andy Vyman's path, and Andy Vyman's finish was equally as brilliant. Um, so yeah, when when things aren't going your way, your way, they they're, they're really not going your way, and that that just seems the case with Blackburn at the moment. It, it, there's no sort of science to it or logic to it. It just seems that things just aren't happening for them. Um, and it is very hard to break it down, but at the same time, the one thing you can you can control, and that's what managers say, you know, we control what we can control, is is your finishing. And, and unfortunately, that's that's why they are where they are. If they put their chances away, they see games out, they put games to bed, teams don't get late goals against them, etc. That's that's been the undoing. Is is the the, the quality of finishing, unfortunately. It's remarkable in itself that a team with just one win in nine and only three goals scored this calendar year is still in the top six. But I, I think we're seeing Blackbird's promotion push fading away. They were amazing in that period, weren't they, between November yeah. and January. I don't think anyone's doubting that. But the fact is, they were fairly average in the first three months of the season. And 
I think that's what they're reverting back to now because they seem to have lost all momentum after a tricky February period. Now, granted, they have got Brereton Diaz to come back, so that's obviously a massive positive, but there is a lot of pressure on his shoulders to score goals. And even if he does come back and scores goals, they need goals from elsewhere as yeah. well, don't they? They can't just be relying on him to put the ball in the back of the net. So um, they need that to get into the top six. And it is worth mentioning that they have got the second kindest remaining run of games out of the playoff chasing mm-hmm. sides. But even if they do finish in the playoffs, can you really see them winning the playoffs when they have been in such poor form? It's difficult to see one way or the, or the other, isn't it, at the moment? Because mm-hmm. they have been so timid in front of goal and that's reflected in their results. Speaking of playoff chasing sides, Millwall and Middlesbrough met on Saturday. That game finished 0-0. There was very little action to talk about from this game apart from the two sets of players just booting each other every so often. Um, what else can we really say, Justin? I don't think a point is... a bad result really for either side would you agree it's, yeah I completely agree it's probably a better result for Borough than it is for Millwall because it keeps oh, yeah. Borough sort of in and around it and as well as that they arrest the bit of poor form and I think Millwall probably looked the more threatening side but that was mainly from set pieces wasn't it so yeah I think uh, Wild would be happier coming away from the den with a point than, than Guy Rout would be potentially as I say Millwall need to win a lot of games between now and the end of the season to even lay a glove on uh, the top six um, and this was another game that went by them essentially which happened happens quite a lot um, for, for Millwall unfortunately well but that's the point I was going to make that draws not a bad result for Millwall but considering they are lagging behind the other teams they have got to make up ground haven't they and yeah. draws basically aren't enough are they no, yeah, you're spot on. Clean sheets, great. Uh, kept Borough quiet, great. But if you're not putting the ball in the back in there and collecting three points in this position, because as we said, we're in the proverbial business end of the season where you've got to be picking up points, especially if you are within uh, touching distance of the top six. Um, it's all about consistency. It's all about being uh, clinical in front of goal. And that's something that Mill will have struggled with this season. Um it's not out of their reach, but at the same time, a win here would have put them in firmly in contention for my money, but not to be. Well, they were beaten in seven, but I struggle to recall many times when a team has had a run like this, but been so timid in front of goal. <laughs> and when I, when I say timid in front of goal, I don't mean putting away chances. That's been pretty much fine. It's been creating chances yeah. where they haven't really been creating many at all. This game in particular was just... There wasn't really much to talk about, was there, in terms of guilt-edged chances? And that cutting edge that Millwall have lacked for pretty much most of the season hasn't really been evident Mm -hmm. in this run of games that they've been on, because they've still been low-scoring. It's just been defensively. They've been amazing. Um, They haven't considered a goal in six hours of football now, which (laughs) is very impressive. And Millwall are quite often reliant on their defence being as sturdy as it is. But this has been a common theme now for many seasons under Tim Millwall yeah. scoring goals and creating chances it's not really changed despite their recent upturn in form Middlesbrough had only picked up one point in five away games in the lead up to this so you're quite right Justin a, a point's not a bad result for them considering they have been so poor on the road this season but it's definitely still got to improve if they are to get in the top six Peterborough 2 Stoke 2 Two late penalties for both sides in this, and there could have been another one after Josh Madger was brought down right at the end of the game. Any thoughts on that one, Justin? I thought that one was a bit soft. I thought the, I think it was the Peterborough one, or maybe the Stoke one, were, were quite soft. There was another one that I thought was was, was quite soft and maybe not a penalty. Um, but nonetheless, again, we're, we're, we're talking about um, poor refereeing decisions. Uh, but yeah, the Madger one for me was, wasn't was a penalty by considerable distance, I th- I'd have thought. I, I thought that one, I've seen them given, I've seen them not given. I wouldn't have been too fussed either way with whatever decision was made, to be honest. But the one you're talking about, I'm guessing, is the Stoke penalty, where it's inconclusive, but it doesn't look to have... It was given a handball, but it doesn't look like it's touched the Peterborough That's player's the yeah. arm at all. It looks like it's just hit him in the stomach. Yeah. Um, and if it has touched his arm, it's grazed it at most so yeah that that was a very questionable one in itself uh, but a good game for the neutral there's plenty of action on show i thought ricky j ricky j jones he's for me to say looked dangerous after coming on for peterborough he's a young lad who's been very highly thought of there for quite some time so he's finally getting some game time johnson clark harris got two goals scored seven for the season now makes his tally look a bit more impressive after what has undoubtedly been a disappointing one but for stoke 
just two wins in 2022, which is why their playoff challenge is long gone. And there have been many calls for Michael O'Neill to be sacked. What do you think, Justin? I I wouldn't be surprised. I, I think um, the Stoke hierarchy should be asking and scrutinising Michael O'Neill a lot more. They're in 15th place at the moment um, on 46 points, which even for a team with their injury problems isn't good enough because they have a good budget. They have a, a good depth. They have good depth. They have a good, a, a good squad. Um, and unfortunately, it's been other things that, for my money, has let them down. For example, they've dropped 27 points this season from winning positions. That's more than the difference between 15th and 2nd. Now, if you halve that, they're in They're in the playoffs. It's it's really as simple as that. Um, they haven't been good enough in-game. Uh, selections, for me, haven't been good enough or consistent enough. Jacob Brown's been really, really good this season, and he's been shifted around. Um, Michael O'Neill seems to divert between formations, which he's probably had to be because of injuries, but at the same time, settle on something, be hard to break down use your forwards to, to, to break quickly because they've got that type of they've got those type of players so that's very simple for me to say but at, at the same time for me Michael O'Neill not done enough they've they've stuttered they are nowhere near better than they were when he joined the thing is for me right O'Neill has had such bad luck with injuries if you name Stokes three most talented players you're saying Suter, Powell and Camelot Mm -hmm. All three of them have been missing for multiple months and at no point has all three of them been fit at the same time. If you take any other championship side and do the same thing to their three best players, you're going to have the same thing happen to them. We're not talking about a huge injury crisis here, which Stoke have also suffered. We're talking about your three best players being out for multiple, numerous games, tens of 20 games a season. Um no manager can comp compensate for that happening. Now, I'm not saying O'Neill's completely blameless. They, they've been shocking recently, and he has to take a lot of the blame for that. But how often now have we seen Stoke managers do poor there and then go on to do a lot better at another club? Nathan Jones, flying with Luton. Guy Rowett's doing well at Millwall. Michael O'Neill, if he does get sacked... I can guarantee he will be exactly the same at another championship club if that is indeed does happen. I think more questions have got to be asked about what's going on elsewhere at the club rather than just simply pointing the finger at the manager, which I think is just the easy, easy thing to do, isn't it, when a team's not doing well. Do you understand what I mean? I, I, I understand. Um, I, I disagree, though. I, I think Michael O'Neill's got a lot to answer for. Um, as I say, he's, he's got good quality available to him. Harry Suter gets injured. But he's had Danny Batts, he's, had, he's got James Chester. Um, they're, they're not the same as Harry Suter. No, though, they're Justin. not, they're not, they're absolutely not. But he's brought in Phil Jagielka and, and Taylor Harwood Bellis. Still not Harry Suter. Yeah, no, it's not, but they've still not tightened up either. They're still conceding goals, and they were before when Harry Suter was in the side. Tyrese Campbell, you've got Jacob Brown, Stephen Fletcher. There's enough, there's enough in that team for me to do more, to get more out of them. Um, and even Nick Powell, you've got Vrancic, I know Soyes has been injured, Baker's come in. But you change the team, you adapt. They've got good wing-backs, but they don't, they're don't. they not productive enough. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I just think Michael O'Neill's got a lot to answer for. They're not, they're not keeping clean sheets, they're not defensively solid, they're not scoring enough goals either. That, for me, is down to the manager, not necessarily the medical department or wherever else the issues lie. At Bloomfield Road, it finished Blackpool 1, Swansea 0. Swansea had 77% possession here, but managed just one shot on target. Blackpool just seemingly happy to let Swansea have the ball because they, Swansea just didn't seem too eager to actually do anything with it. And it's not the first time this has happened, has it, Justin, where Swansea have had so much possession but struggled to convert it into actual chances. Yeah, I think firstly, you've got to, you've got to talk about Swansea and the possession game and you've got to say... It is impressive what Martin has achieved this season with that team, with the issues that he's had. Um, and the next step for them is to convert that possession into creating chances to being ruthless and aggressive in that final third, because that's something that they had issues with at the start of the season. They kept all the clean sheets, but they weren't threatening opposition enough. Started to level out um, in sort of uh, October, November time. But again, they had that poor run of form throughout January and early Feb. Um but it's a young side as well with a young manager and there's a lot for them to go. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's a good step forward. But as you say, they need to be more they need to be more aggressive in that final third if they're going to improve because 73% possession and one shot on target, 
is awkward, isn't it? It's bad reading. I have seen a lot of people criticising um, how people have been talking about, you know, Swansea have so much possession, but they're still, what, 15th or wherever they are in the table. But I, I think people are overlooking the fact that they've had to change, completely change the style of play. They've got a much more weaker side than they did last season. And it's going to take time for a new manager to implement his style of play, especially when it is such a you know drastic change in style of play yeah. like Martin's trying to do. So people are very quick to criticise Swansea for having so much possession. And admittedly, it's not you know been leading to results or chances created, but this is a process. It's a big transition that's happening at Swansea. And I think next season is going to be the real test of it. If mm-hmm. they're still transitioning, then you've got a problem. But this season... We all knew what was going to happen, and this is ultimately what we're seeing. Um, Kevin Stewart, I thought, was excellent for Blackpool. He's a strange case because he spent a lot of last season as a free agent, and I was surprised the championship side didn't pick him up, but he dropped down to League One, and when he's been fit, he's been brilliant for Blackpool. Um, And they're just very good at creating something, despite not having as much of the ball as their opponents, aren't they? Only four teams have had less possession than them this season, but they've still created a healthy amount of chances each game. And that's a lot of credit for Neil Critchley because his side are very resolute and very hardworking. And when they're actually on the ball, they've got quality to make it count, haven't they? And it's three wins in three for the Seasiders now. They're now 12th and in the top half of the table, Justin. And if they stay there, that would be a sensational achievement, wouldn't it? Yeah, huge achievement. Um, <clears throat> you've got to think about their, their budget, their, where they've come from as well. Um, and the fact that they, he's, he's managed to do it with a relatively young side, with exception to a couple of experienced championship heads in there. Um, and, and there's a good rotation there. You look at, at Shane Lavery, Gary Medine, Jerry Yates, really good productive forwards out wide. You've got CJ Hamilton, uh, Charlie Kirk, Josh Bowler, and obviously my, my favourite player in the world, Cashy Anderson, who's been injured. There's just a really good balance of, of players there and, and there's good options available to him. So you've got to credit him for putting that squad together on a relatively low budget um, and for them to be as productive as they are without the ball, um, still create chances without the ball, again, is, is, is really good tactical discipline, which are very good foundations to set in your team. And as a save, say, for example, we were talking about Michael O'Neill, if he, if he gets set by Stoke, Neil Clitchley to Stoke would be a very good fit and I'm just speculating but what I'm saying is there are going to be takers for Neil Critchley come the summer because he's doing a very good job at Blackpool this year I think at the moment Stoke will be a step down for Neil Critchley won't it <laughs> considering where they both are in the table um, I think Critchley's a fantastic fantastic manager I think he'll definitely be a Premier League manager at some point and it's worth pointing out as well over the last three seasons I think the highest place a promoted side has finished is something like 17th so for Blackpool, yeah. with their budget to be, you know, sat in the top half of the table, potentially sit, staying there at the end of the season, mm-hmm. would be amazing. Yeah. It'd be such a big achievement for Critchley and the Seasiders. Birmingham nil, Hull nil. You'll be very disappointed to find out the big dildo protest from Birmingham fans that was meant to be happening at this game didn't go ahead. I think there may have been one or two thrown onto the pitch, but a disappointing lack of dildos at this game. Um, just imagine if you got stopped by a steward as you were heading into the game and you have to explain why you've got a dildo in your coat. It's like if, you're, if your luggage is buzzing at an airport, isn't it? And you've got to open it. It's like, that's just my toothbrush. You can't really get away with that if there's a massive dildo in your pocket, can you? It's just my toothbrush. Well, yeah, we shouldn't be brushing your teeth yeah. with that, sir. <laughs> Anything you want to comment on from this game, Justin? Um, there wasn't many chances in this game. It was it was one that, yeah, was was a nil-nil. It's a positive result for Hull because it's a clean sheet away from home. Birmingham City lacking a little bit going forwards, and that's still evident, but to Heath Chong, um, they need, they need, both teams need quality, um, but it's, it, was an, it was a good nil-nil, I would say. I think these two sides are just about on the beach, but in normal seasons, which don't involve teams with points deductions, they'd be in a bit of trouble. I mean, Hall have got 38 points. At this stage last season, 38 points would have seen you in the bottom three. Mm -hmm. And Birmingham are only three points ahead of Hall, but I suppose there's no point in stewing over hypotheticals. Um, Final game of the weekend was Cardiff nil, Preston nil. Another game where it's two teams who haven't got much to play for and... God, it's going to be difficult commenting on these games for the rest of the season, isn't it? Um, anything? This wasn't as good as nil-nil as the Birmingham City 
and Hull nil nil. So um, that's about it. Yeah, this nil nil wasn't yeah. as good as the other nil nil. Thanks for giving us yeah. nil nils, guys. We need stuff to talk about, and you don't give as much. You've got nothing to play for. You may as well just go crazy and have we've a crack. We've said this before, you? yeah. We've said this yeah. before. <laughs> Get, let the youngsters have a go. Have a crack. Just give us some entertainment at the very least. Right, now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And one of the parties interested in buying Derby say the administrators have ended discussions with them. The Binney family were told their offer of £30 million was too low. It was submitted on Monday in the belief that there were no other bids on the table. Meanwhile, Derby's administrators say they are still working with potential buyers who remain interested in the club. Imagine if you said to a Derby fan two months ago that a buyer still wouldn't have been found by the middle of March. Justin, it's... Why is this process still going on? Well, the takeover was uh, the takeover was imminent in uh, on Christmas Eve, wasn't it? And alas, we're in March and we still don't have a preferred bidder. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's it's weird. We don't know enough. The the, the Binney family um, were were quite classy in their statement. I did think their bid was quite low, given that their HMRC bill was about twenty five million to thirty million. There's a stadium that they've got to purchase. And the other creditors that got to be settled, I thought thirty million was was quite low. Probably not going to get you, get you the club. And yeah, they they pulled out. Uh, and fair enough. And as I say, they were quite classy in their statement. But as I, um, what's what's important again to point out is just the, the lack of transparency from the administrators. Once again, it'd be good to know a little bit more information, just a little bit more, rather than yes, we have rejected this bid. We're still talking to other people. Not it's not enough, is it? No, no, definitely not. Reading have signed former Villa and Bournemouth goalkeeper Oyen Nyland. He's joined after loan goalkeeper Carl Hine went back to Arsenal after suffering an injury, obviously falling over in his own home. Blackburn midfielder Lewis Travis has signed a new four and a half year deal at the club. It keeps him there until 2026. A bit of an unsung hero in Blackburn's success this season, Justin. Yeah, massive shit house as well, which goes <laughs> under the radar. He's, he's, he's he loves a tackle, um, and every every team needs a player like him. I think he's he's a massive asset to to Blackburn as well. So to get him um, secured to a new long term contract only gives Blackburn that bit of buffer as well. If a team comes in for him, because they could say, yeah, no, we need a we need a big fee for this guy, and um, that's the way that's the way things should have been done a year ago for Blackburn, but obviously not the case. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a good player. I guess he like, I guess a lot of yellow cards though. But a player like him is bound to with his tough tackling nature. And finally, Man City midfielder Ilkay Gundogan has revealed he got West Brom promoted on Football Manager. He says he doesn't like to manage teams in the Premier League and likes to go for sides outside of it. And rightly so, Justin. I completely agree. I've I've just started a new save of Luton myself, but I think we need to centre on the fact that Ilkay Gundogan has done the impossible there and got West Brom back into the Premier League. <laughs> Why didn't they just appoint him instead of Steve Bruce? It all makes sense now. Right, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listener three questions on Twitter because we want to get your thoughts, ladies and gentlemen, on everything to do with the Championship. So the first question we asked the listener this week was this. Who is Championship Manager of the Season so far? Steve Cooper, Carlos Corbran, Nathan Jones or Wayne Rooney? This is like being in an ice cream shop and there being too many flavours you like. Um, it's very hard to say. I, I would edge towards Carlos Corbran, maybe. Yeah, I'm between Corbran and Cooper, I've got to say. But Rooney won the poll. He got 35%. If Rooney keeps Derby up, then oh, completely yeah, understandable. Down. Yeah, But I, what, I think what if Corbran takes Huddersfield up? I'd still say Rooney. Yeah, 21 points is a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But without a doubt, Corbran, if he takes Huddersfield up, that's a massive achievement. Uh, Steve Cooper got 26%. Carlos Corbran got 25%. Nathan Jones got 14%. The next question we asked was this. Should Michael O'Neill be sacked by Stoke? Yes or no? No, I would say yes. I would say no. I think they need longevity. 58% of people said yes. 42% said no. And finally... Last time anyone in the world is going to ask this question because I have demanded it. So, um, in the world, are there more doors or wheels? Uh, more doors, because even you try to think about cars, they have wheels, but they've got doors as well. So it's more doors for me. I'm a doors man as well. But people... See, 
on drawers, for example, do the wheels in there count? Oh, crap. Yeah, it's a good... Po- that, uh, hmm. mm. A lot of wheels on them. But how many doors... There's so many doors, like a block of flats, for example. A lot, lot of doors. doors a lot of doors, no wheels on a block of flats. Hmm. I'm more... I, I'm centering towards doors, doors. But 36% of people said doors. 64% of oh, people said wheels. And 64% it. of people are wrong. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Louis Bent from the Baggies podcast and Stephen Topless from 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject, and all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I would say, name Sam Allardyce's last eight clubs, and Louis would say West Brom, that's one down, and Stephen would say Everton, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. Now, of course, we have... Forest fan here, and they're looking to get back to the Premier League for the first time in a long time. But how long is it compared to other championship sides? This week, I want you to name the championship sides who have had the longest absence from the Premier League. Now, there are five second tier teams who have never been in the Premier League. Ignore them, they don't count. I'm only talking about sides who have been in the Premier League at some point and have been away from it for a long, long time. So we shall begin with Stephen. You can go first. Who is a Premier League? Uh, who is a Championship side who has had a long old absence from the Premier League? Uh, I'm going to say it because it's obvious to me. Nottingham Forest. Absolutely, they are the side who have had the second longest absence from the Premier League. Uh, they were relegated in 1999 and haven't been back since. Louis, you can go next. I think I'll go for Derby. Absolutely. Derby are the fourth side who have had the longest absence. They were last in the Premier League in 2008 in a season that shan't be mentioned. Justin Peach. Barnsley, were they in the first season of the Premier League and then they they were relegated? They weren't in the first season. They had one season in the Premier League in 1997-98. But you're absolutely right. They're the side who have had the longest absence from the Premier League. Stephen, your go. You've got five remaining. All three of you still in. Uh, I, I remember them being in the Premier League when I was a kid, so I think it's Coventry is one of them. Absolutely. They were relegated in 2001 under Gordon Strachan, which seems much more recent than I thought it was. But uh, there you go. Coventry are the side have had the third longest absence. So you've got the top four. Now you're into the next four. Uh, Louis, your go. Um, I think I'll go for... I think Blackpool were about 12 or so years ago, so I'll go for them. Blackpool is absolutely right. They had their only season in the Premier League in 2010-11. That's the fifth um, longest absence. Justin, your go. All three of you still in. Three remaining. The the next one that came to my mind was Blackburn. Blackburn is correct. They've had the seventh longest absence. They suffered relegation in 2012 under Steve Keane. Um, two left then. And Stephen, it's your go. Uh, I feel like they, they've been out of it for about 10 years or so. Uh, Birmingham? Absolutely. Birmingham were last in the Premier League in 2011. So you're absolutely right there. That means you've got one left, chaps. All three of you still in. Who is the last remaining one? Louis Bent. Uh, I th- I'm going to go for Reading. Reading is correct. They were oh, relegated yes. in 2013. So there you go, boys. All three of you still in. Smash it. I, I, Justin, I don't recall this happening too often this season, where all three of you are still in and you just cruise through. It might be the first this season. It, it's been a struggle this year. It really mm. has. Not been good. Yeah. Yeah. 2022 itself, we haven't had many teams actually win at all. So all no. three of you still in. Clean sweep. Well done, boys. And there we go. Second tier podcast wrapped up for the weekend. We'll be back again on Thursday because we've got a whole game week of uh, games happening in the championship in midweek. So we'll be there on Thursday to talk about all those games as and when they happen. So quick thank you to our guests on the show this week. Stephen Topless from the Nottingham Forest podcast. 1865. Thank you for your time today. Thanks, boys. It's been a pleasure. It's Louis Bent from the Baggies podcast. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me on, gents. 
This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Picture the scene. It's 3pm on a Saturday, your team's playing away from home and you can't go. You're sat there wanting to watch your championship side play, but you can't get it on your telly. Well, fear no more, dear listener. Why not try NordVPN? NordVPN lets you access content from over 59 countries just by changing your virtual location. So essentially, your internet will think you're abroad and that means you can get access to the 3pm Saturday games from the comfort of your own living room. It's not just football, you can do it with streaming services as well. For example, I was on Canadian Netflix the other day and was watching the Shawshank Redemption. You can't get that on streaming services here. It's also useful for cybersecurity when you're on the move too. Get your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier or use the code second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It costs the same as a cup of coffee each month, so why not give it a go right now?